And that's when Christ comes in, in the last section, the Garden of Eden restored, because he's going to finish the work that he began in us. He's going to finish the work that he began in creation, and he's going to actually make it the garden again. In Revelation, John, John saw a vision of Yahweh sitting on a throne in heaven, and before the throne was a sea of glass, which symbolizes the fact that there is no, more, there is no chaos in heaven. There is no chaos in heaven. There's no evil in heaven. There's no disorder. Also around the throne were 24 elders who represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples of church united together as one covenant people. Now, all throughout the Bible, any time that you see something in the Bible and the Bible doesn't explain what it means, symbolically speaking, it means that it was mentioned somewhere else. It's called the law of first mention. So you go back to the first time that this thing was mentioned, the number seven, the number 24, the number whatever, the number three, lamb, blood, temple, all that kind of stuff. You go back to the first time it's mentioned, and there the Bible will explain to you what this means. And then every time it uses it after that, it's, meaning it, it's using it in that meaning, because God doesn't t- change definitions like we do. Revelation is the last book in the Bible, which everything in Revelation has already been mentioned before except for 24. You never ever see 24 ever in the Bible except for one teeny little place, and that's when David divided the priesthood into 24 divisions. So that means that we're talking about priests here. He sees 24 elders. That's priesthood. That goes back to Israel. But the word elder also refers to a leadership, kingship, authority, power. Who are the only people who have the right to be kings and priests in Christ? the church, not the Jews, because they haven't come to Christ. But at the same time, the other place that you see is 12 and 12. 12 represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel. It represents the 12 apostles, the church. Together, it's the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, if you just had it here, you'd be like, eh, I don't know. But we see this 24 show up other places in Revelation. And it's very clear that it's referring to Jews and Gentiles because we're told in one place that 144,000 people of Israel came to Christ and were in heaven. But then we're also told that an uncountable number of people from all tribes and all nations and all languages are in heaven. And then later we're going to see the temple of God coming down, and it has 12 foundations, which are the, found, the 12 tribes of Israel, and it has 12 gates, which are the apostles. And it literally says that, which means 12 and 12 is 24, which means 24 is Israel Jews and Gentiles both. So who are the elders in heaven? It's the Jews and the Gentiles. This is the first vision of God that you've ever seen humans in heaven. And why are there humans in heaven? Because Christ has died for our sins. And we can now finally enter into heaven. So you see Jews and Gentiles in heaven for the first time ever because they are in Christ who made the way possible to heaven. And then later I told you in Revelation 7 we'll see the tribes of Israel in heaven, and we'll see an uncountable number of people from every tribe and every language in heaven as well. Jews and Gentiles both there. Then Yahweh held out a scroll, which represents the word and the promises of Yahweh to take back creation, restore the Garden of Eden, the new Jerusalem on earth, and unite heaven and earth. So he holds up this scroll, and it represents the title deed to the earth. We, know, we all know what title deeds are. Okay, when, when you get a loan to buy a house or a car, you don't get the title deed until you pay off the loan and the bank gives you the title deed and it's yours. We don't have the right to claim earth because we were given earth in the Garden of Eden and then we gave it over to chaos. 
We gave it over to the serpent. We gave it over to Satan, whatever you want to call it. And so we lost the right to rule over earth. Christ took it back. So God has in his hand the seal. It's all the promises of God that one day he would give it back to us. But none of those promises have been fulfilled because we live in a world where it's still sin and chaos. John begins to cry because they can't find anybody in heaven and earth or anywhere that's worthy to open the scroll, which means nobody can fulfill the promises of God and cleanse the earth of chaos and give it back to the humans to rule without sin. So all of a sudden the elder comes to John and says, don't cry, don't cry. Behold, the lion of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. But then John looks and he sees the lamb with its throat slit and has seven eyes and seven horns. And so what he's saying is he hears about the lion, the king. But when he looks, he sees the priest and the sacrifice. And it has seven horns, which represents authority, which is complete, and seven eyes, which represents knowledge, which is complete. And so he sees the king priest who has sacrificed himself for the world. And he says, that one is worthy to open the scroll. That one is worthy to fulfill the promises of God and bring the Garden of Eden on earth like God promised, like it was one day. Romans 5, 6 through 10. Then I saw standing in the middle of the throne the four living creatures in the middle, middle of the elders, a lamb that appeared to have been killed. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, and sent out into all the earth. And then he came and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders threw themselves to the ground before the Lamb. Each of them had a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they were singing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were killed. And at the cost of your own blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. You have appointed them as a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. And then when this happens, the elder, he takes the scroll and he begins to open it. And the elders and the angels fall down before him and begin to sing a new song, a song that has never, ever, ever, ever been sung ever in the history of mankind. You are worthy to open the scroll. Why has the song never been opened? Because no one's ever been worthy to fulfill the promises of God. And Jesus wasn't even worthy until he died for us. You are worthy to open the scroll. Why? Because you were slain and you spilled your blood and you bought creation with your own blood. It belongs to you now. You have the right to claim creation in the title deed to the earth. You have the right to do what the promises of God promise. You have the right to subdue it and actually can because you purchased the earth with your own blood. That's the new song they sing. No one else has ever sung that. No one else ever can, unless you're singing about Jesus. So then it goes through Christ taking the earth back. These are the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. We're not going through that, because that's where there's a lot of controversy and dispute on that. One day in the future, Jesus Christ will return to the earth and destroy Babylon, the Tower of Babylon. In Revelation 19, we see God come back, Christ comes to the earth, and he destroys Babylon, which represents all evil and all pagan nations. And they sing a song praising the destruction of evil and sin. It is in the second coming of Jesus Christ that all evil and all sin and all corrupt institutions and governments, which are all of them, will be finally destroyed completely like God promised they would. 
which represents the sin, the corruption of human institutions and governments and evil on earth, then Yahweh will resurrect all the dead and judge all humans according to their standing with Jesus. Those who rejected Jesus and the sacrifice will be put under the law, which only brings death, and will be sent to a place where Yahweh does not dwell, therefore honoring their choice to live without him. One day, God will raise them all. He'll come back to the earth. He'll destroy all evil and all sin, and then he'll resurrect everyone. Everyone gets resurrected. The unbelievers and the believers, everyone gets resurrected. And they'll all stand before God, and there will be two books, the book of the law and the book of the Lamb. And if your name is found in the book of the Lamb, you will receive life, because the law always condemns you to death. But when you say, I can't fulfill the law, but Jesus can So I'm going to accept Jesus, and he'll live in me, and he'll fulfill the law through me. Then you'll experience life. But if you say, I don't need Jesus, I'll do it on my own. And I'll do it in the words of Elvis and Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. But you'll do it your way. And you'll fail miserably to meet the requirements of the law because no one is worthy to open the seal except for Jesus. And the law always brings death. That's basically the two books. You're not going to answer The only time you'll have to answer for your works is when you say, I will do it on my own. If you say, I can't do it on my own, I want Jesus, then you don't answer for your works. Christ does, and he always fulfills the law. Those who are not in Christ will go to the lake of fire. Now, all that is is a place where God doesn't exist. And so they say, I don't need you, God. I'm going to do it my way. I don't care about Jesus. I'm going to do it my way. And God says, fine, here's a place for all eternity where I don't exist. Go and do it your way. But when we do it our way, hello, human history, we create our own hell on earth, just like we'll create our own hell in that dimension for all eternity. We as in humans, not us as believers. Then Yahweh will take the covenant people who dwell on the renewed earth with Yahweh for all eternity. So he will renew the earth. He will not destroy the earth and build a new one. He will renew the earth. Just like when we became Christians, he didn't destroy your body and give you a new body. He renewed your body and your mind. And the same thing will happen to earth. He will renew the earth and get rid of all sin and all evil. And he will place us on that earth. And we will finally be able to live in the Garden of Eden without sin and without um, evil and without death. Then Yahweh will renew the sky and the earth into the Garden of Eden once again, and Yahweh will dwell with humanity on earth. Yahweh's dwelling on earth is portrayed as the new Jerusalem from heaven coming down to earth. There is no need for a temple on the renewed earth because the Lamb and his covenant people are the temple. This is seen in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the earth had ceased to exist. And the sea existed no more. Why is there no sea in the new renewed? I don't think it literally means there will be no water in the new creation. But the sea represents chaos. There will be no more evil or sin. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. Now, this is what's really cool. A lot of people miss this. He describes the new Jerusalem coming down, and it's a perfect cube. It's 144,000 cubics on all sides. It's a perfect cube in height, width, and depth. And you're like, why is that so cool? Because the only perfect cube you ever see in the entire Bible is the Holy of Holies. It was 15 feet wide, 15, 15 feet long, and 15 feet high. It's the only cube in the entire Bible. So what do you see coming down from heaven? The Holy of Holies. What is the Holy of Holies? The New Jerusalem. And it's coming down to earth, and it's huge. 
It's absolutely huge. It's miles long. Now, the point is that the sea is not miles long. The point is that the sea is big, and it'll be big enough for everybody. In the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven, God made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the residence of God is among human beings. God is coming down to live with us on earth. He will live among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will not exist anymore, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the former things have ceased to exist. The other thing that the Revelation says here is, John is told, Behold, the bride of Christ is coming. He hears that, and then he looks, and he sees the new Jerusalem coming down to earth. And it's a perfect cube, just like the Holy of Holies. Now, just like he heard that the lamb, sorry, the lion is worthy to open the scroll, but he saw the lamb that's showing you the lion and the lamb are the exact same thing. And then he hears about the 144,000 from every tribe of Israel in heaven, but then he looks and he sees an uncountable number of people from every tribe and every language, meaning that the Jews and the Gentiles are the same thing. And then he hears about the bride of Christ, us, but he sees the city coming to earth, which means it's the same thing. And John uses this hearing and seeing two different things to show you they're exactly the same. And so it's not actually a city. It's actually us. But we're metaphorically described as a perfect cube because the point is we're the Holy of Holies. And now the real ultimate Holy of Holies in heaven is joining us, the Holy of Holies on earth, and the one, the two, are becoming the same. And just like in creation where you have the heaven and earth together and the temple of God with king and priests, Adam and Eve there, and then earth fell from heaven, now earth, heaven, is coming down to earth and rejoining it because Christ has come and the first coming dealt with the sin in our hearts and the second coming is dealing with the sin in the world. And now the garden is finally de-serpent and chaos is subdued and we can dwell with them on earth. The garden is being restored. Revelation 21, 22 through 25. Now I saw no temple in the city because Yahweh God, the all-powerful, the Lamb, are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God lights it up. The lamp is the Lamb, and the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their grandeur into it. Its gates will never be closed during the day, and there will be no night there. Remember, night represents evil and chaos. Sea represents evil and chaos. And they're not there. And there's no light. There's no sun because the Lamb is light. Remember, in the creation account, God said, let there be light. And then it was two days, three days later that the sun came. So in the original garden, at first, there was no sun. There was just the light of God. Now in this new creation, there's no sun. There's just the light of the Lamb. There's no temple. Because remember, God never meant for us to have a temple. He meant for us to have Christ and the body of Christ. And now what he paints is a picture that just like the Garden of Eden, just like Ezekiel's temple, a river will flow out of the new Jerusalem. And it has two trees of life on each side, which is the presence of the tree of life is the absence of the tree of knowledge. There's no tree of life and knowledge, meaning you have the choice to follow God or not. Now there's two trees of life, which means we'll always follow God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's in us, and there's no more sin. So there is no chance to sin again. There's no chance to be evil again. And so these two trees are there. We've already made our choice. Some people are like, what, God is going to take your free will away? 
No, 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 no. See, in the garden, we had a choice because God wants us to have free will. He said, choose the tree of life or choose the tree of knowledge. And we chose poorly. But now we are given another choice. You can choose the law or you can choose Christ. You can choose to meet the requirements of the law through your own abilities or you can choose to meet the requirements through Christ. Which one do you want? And we, we as believers, have chosen Christ. So all God is doing is now is giving you the ability to follow through with your choice. The two trees of life without the tree of knowledge does not mean our free will is being taken away. It means that we've already made our choice, and now he's going to give us the ability to actually stick to our choice. We will still have free choice. It's just we'll now actually be able to stay committed to our choice for all eternity. So there are two trees of life. And it says the leaves are for the healings of the nation which means we still have to do... Remember, we've devastated this creation. We've, we've got corrupt memories. And Christ is going to come away and do with evil and sin. But that doesn't mean he's going to do a magic wand over the earth and make it this happy-go-lucky, shiny place. And it doesn't mean all of our emotions and our hurts are going to just go away automatically. Notice it says he will wipe away every tear. And the leaves of the trees are for the healings of the nation. Which means now that all evil and sin is done away with, now we can come to Christ, our perfect counselor, who will be living physically on earth with us. And we can begin to work together to fix and cleanse and heal the planet that we've destroyed. Through pollution and, and, and killing animals and the things that the church isn't very good at doing. Because we're so focused on saving people that we forgot about being a good environmentalist. And the, the, the discipleship that we all need. We all need therapy. <laughs> We've all been horribly hurt in our lives. And we all need therapy. And now we're going to finally get that therapy. And then we can begin to expand the garden like we were meant to do. Repair it. Fix it. Restore it. And my theory is, I already mentioned this, that the reason God gave us an entire universe that is really big and unending and completely vacant of life, perhaps, is because we were meant to go out into all of creation, all planets, and expand the garden. And now we'll have all eternity. Not to sit on clouds and play harps and just sing kumbaya. God didn't die on the cross to make you do that for eternity. But to live this life like we're living now and build institutions of psychology and politics and all that kind of stuff and to build and create things like we are all creators with music and art and buildings and drafting and engineer. We all have some creative spark in us. And now we'll have all eternity to take that out into all of creation, maybe even the entire universe. Because remember, in the original Genesis, the word for creation includes the universe, the outer space, the planets. And he called us to expand into creation. And now we're going to have all eternity to do what we're doing right now, the way that God has gifted you as a construction worker or a banker or whatever, except we're not going to do it corruptly. And they're not going to be corrupt institutions. It's not going to be the Tower of Babylon. It's going to be the kingdom of God. And we're going to spend all of eternity expanding the garden in the way that God has gifted us and given us a passion to do it. And if you haven't discovered your gifting or passion yet, don't worry. This is only 80-something years in the eternity you have. And when Christ comes back, he'll tell you what it is, and you'll do it, and you'll love it. Okay? And you'll finally be able to do this and go out. And so that's what we're going to do. We have pledged our absolute and total allegiance to God to expand the kingdom of God by submitting to him and allowing his will to be done through us. And he's going to give us the ability to actually follow through with that.
Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, waters clear as crystal, pouring out from the throne of God, of the Lamb, flowing down the middle of the city's main streets. On each side, this is what Ezekiel saw in his vision. He didn't see a temple that the Jews would rebuild. He saw the temple of heaven coming down to earth, which is actually Jesus and God. On each side of the river, the tree of life producing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month of the year. Its leaves are for the healing of the nations, and there will be no longer any curse, no more evil and sin. The throne of God and the land will be in the city. He will no longer be up there and us down here. He will be right there with us in our living room. The servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, mine. It doesn't mean God is going to tattoo his name on your foreheads. It goes back to Deuteronomy 6, 4, where God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall bind this to your foreheads and your arms and hands. Meaning that the idea that God is your only God should be transforming the way you think and the way that you do things. And what he's saying is that will finally happen. His servants will worship him, and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer be any more, and they will no need for the lamp. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, because Yahweh their God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. And notice that it says that when Christ redeemed us with His blood, He gave us the right to be kings and priests. That new song was giving us the right to be kings and priests, because Jesus' work on the cross. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, all sin and evil will be removed from the earth and heaven, and earth will be rejoined together, and humans will be resurrected from the death, dead to live in the Garden of Eden on earth again. Most importantly, Yahweh and Jesus will dwell with humanity in the land in the right and good relationship with humanity. Humanity will continue to expand the Garden throughout creation as they were originally meant to do. This is why J.R.R. Tolkien's subtitle, for the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings is home and back again. That's the Bible. The whole Bible is Genesis is our home, creation, the Garden of Eden, and Revelation is back again. Not in that we're going to leave this planet and come back again, but that this planet has been corrupted and it will be restored again. If you understand the Garden, then you understand where God is taking us. This is why it's so important to understand the First Testament, because it is the key to understanding the Second Testament. Until then, we are allowed the Holy Spirit. We are to allow the Holy Spirit to transfer our minds into the image of the Father, to love and forgive others in a radical way as Christ did, to allow the Holy Spirit to make all this possible, to expand the garden into the lives and institutions of which we are part, and to work towards and pray for the kingdom of Yahweh to come to earth. Remember, it's always about God coming down to us. So when they asked Jesus, how shall we pray? And he answered in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. So pray this way. Our Father, who is up in heaven, may your name, your character, be honored. Worship, glorified for who you are. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we are to pray that the kingdom of God and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are not to pray that we are taken to heaven one day. We are to pray that heaven would come down to earth. We are to pray not that we would experience his will in heaven. We are to pray that his will would be executed on earth here. 
and his house are many rooms. We are in his house right now on earth, living it out. Give us today our daily bread. Be absolutely completely dependent upon him for everything like Jesus was and not on ourselves. Forgive us of our debts as we ourselves are forgiven our debtors. We are to forgive other people just like Christ has. And if we don't, then Christ won't necessarily forgive us of our sins. That's a later parable that he tells. Then do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do not allow us to be consumed and subdued and twisted by the serpents in the world that we live right now and to be bought into the world way of thinking on the media and news and the governments and institutions, but allow us to be delivered from that so that we can actually make the kingdom of God and the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what you and I are to be doing. And then one day Christ will come back and he will complete the work that he began in us that we're doing right now. And the Garden of Eden is where we will live for all eternity with God, face to face, like Adam and Eve originally did. This is the Bible in a nutshell. And I hope I did justice to God and the themes. I know there's a lot more we could have unpacked, but I tried to develop the major themes that went through the Bible, and I hope that those things came out in a big-picture sense so that when you go to the Bible and read it verse by verse by verse, Yes, studying and understanding the Word of God is a lifetime journey for all of us. But at least now you've got a framework, hopefully, that you can plug things into. Like, oh, I get that kind now because it plugs into this theme or it plugs into that theme or it plugs into all these themes. And that was the hope with this study, was to at least give you a framework and a big picture, meta-narratives, that every time you read the Bible, no matter where you are with your pastor in John one day and your own personal devotions in Genesis another day and your small group in Timothy another day, that you know what the big framework is and you can plug these things into where they belong and it will make sense in the big picture of sense. Yahweh, we thank you so much for your plan, that your plan is way beyond what any human could come up with, with what any son of God could come up with. We thank you that you loved us so much that you're willing to execute this plan of redemption for us in the restoration of the garden. That you are so powerful and sovereign that you're able to execute this plan. We thank you that you loved us so much that you're willing to do this through your son, knowing that it would cause his death. And that you were able to resurrect him. We thank you so much that you love us so much that you gave us your Holy Spirit to indwell us to transform us, allow us to be transformed so that we would have the desire and the ability to be what you want us to be. Allow us to love you like you first loved us. Give us the ability to obey you as our act of love to you, not because we are afraid of punishment or want a reward. Give us the ability to make your will and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that each day you would show up in our life so powerfully that we can take this plan, your plan of redemption, and surrender to its working in our lives and allow us to be holy and used in a unique way that is unlike anything in creation to bring a Garden of Eden and give us the desire to look forward to the second coming of Christ. And I thank you so much that you loved us so much that you had every right to kick us to the curb 
Yet this is what you're going to do one day. Bring the kingdom of God to earth. Get rid of all evil and sin. And bring us into your presence. And a perfect, good, intimate, beautiful relationship with you. Where we will be able to be creative in our passion for all eternity. And not see the working of sin in, in any kind of way. Praise be to God. In Jesus' name, amen.